0: Good morning. Turn to in your Bibles to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. Last week we started talking about the events that lead up to Easter. Last week, actually, we talked about uh Palm Sunday. Today's Palm Sunday, but last week is when I talked about uh Palm Sunday. And really what I wanted to talk about um, last week was how Jesus Jesus is sovereign over all these events. He's really showing his lordship and he's putting himself on display so that you can have this sort of final moment where you say, okay, now you know everything, now you've seen him, what do you think? Who do you say that he is? Uh, he's on display for you to decide what are you going to do with Jesus. Are you going to receive him? Are you going to call him your Lord? Or are you going to reject him and walk away? And so last week what we see is, um, actually even even before the triumphal entry. The, the triumphal entry to me is really starts when he's in Jericho. He's coming out of Jericho and he heals a couple of people, and he he has this enormous entourage that came with him from Galilee and whoever he picked up in Jericho, and they're all going up together. They're ascending to Jerusalem, and that's how you how you should always think of it is that you're going up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem's on a hill. And you always ascend to Jerusalem. There are several psalms in the Old Testament that are called Psalms of Ascent. And what it really is is songs for weary travelers to sing on the road when they go to Jerusalem because they're required to make pilgrimage to Jerusalem several times each year. And while they travel together, they sing. So imagine this huge entourage of people coming from Galilee and then meeting up in Jericho, seeing an amazing event, Jesus healing two men who are blind, and then the whole entourage from Jerus- or from Jericho comes up to Jerusalem singing songs. And when they get to Jerusalem, um, Jesus uh, very sovereignly says, there's this donkey, go get this donkey, i want to ride the donkey. And if anybody says, uh, hey, what are you doing with that donkey? Just say, the Lord needs it. And they'll say, oh, okay. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, um, it's very incredible that, you know, here, here, we need, we the Lord needs this. Oh, okay, you can have it, you can have it. Just whatever whatever the Lord needs, you can have it. Um, And that's a good thing, but um, it's an amazing thing for them to just say, the Lord needs this, and uh, those guys just give over this donkey. And then he comes into Jerusalem, and he cleanses the temple, and it's quite a week of debating. And uh, it was really a day uh, and a few days when Jesus shows himself the winner. Jesus is the winner. He's the winner on Palm Sunday when he's uh, marching in. He has just healed some people, um, and everybody that day, who confronts him or tries to trip him up or ask him uh, some sort of question that's supposed to make him look like a fool they end up looking like the fool uh, so Jesus is a winner all through that week he's on display winning uh, but today today in our passages he's going to be arrested and he's going to be put on trial and uh, we're going um, and and then of course it all leads up to the crucifixion and in that way Jesus does not look like the winner he looks like the loser uh, and uh, and so then the, We see how people react to him very differently. It's easy to follow Jesus when he's winning. It's not easy to follow Jesus uh, when it looks like he's losing. So, uh, in John chapter 18, we'll start in verse 1. First, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for being the winner, for always being the winner. And, Lord, we are uh, your servants. And, Lord... Help us always be confident in you, even when it looks like you're not winning, even it looks like when it looks like the church is not winning, when it looks like the church is not going to prevail, uh, when it looks like you are not popular, when it looks like you are the one in the wrong, when people try to tell us that you are the one in the wrong, Lord, help us to always stick close to you and, and say, no, 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 Jesus is always the winner, even when it looks like, even when you're trying to convince me that he's not. Lord, help us to always keep our confidence in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So John chapter 18, verse 1, when he had finished praying, this is after the Last Supper, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said, and Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, uh, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, Put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father in law of Caiaphas the high priest that year. All right uh, let's look at these look at these verses for a little bit. Again, it looks like Jesus is uh, is the loser here. He's being betrayed by one of his own. He's being arrested. He's being taken away. Uh, his disciples are fleeing from him. Uh, only one wanted to fight for him. Um, but what I see is a person who's in absolute sovereign sovereign control over everything that's going on there. Uh, the the thing I want to draw you. To your attention to the most is that they all come up to him and, and we're not really told how many soldiers there were uh, the apparently the the word used in the in the Greek for the commander of the army sounds like uh, somebody who was in charge of about a thousand troops so if you can imagine a, a detachment of a thousand troops going to arrest uh, one person or maybe uh, twelve or thirteen people. That is how dangerous the uh, high priests and the, the, the leadership had convinced the Romans that Jesus was. And they came up to him in the garden. And Jesus went out to them to meet them. And they, and he says, who is it that you want? Who do you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And this is the way I uh, really see it going, going down. The commander of the army steps out in front with his warrant of arrest. And he says, we are here to arrest Jesus of Nazareth, and Jesus Jesus says, I am, I am he, I am, and then they all fell down. You'll notice in verse 6, it says they all drew back and fell to the ground uh, when he said this, and the reason that that happened is that Jesus used the name of God. You remember when Moses saw uh, God in the form of the burning bush? And Moses said, who are you? Who, what's your name? You're going to send me back to your people, and they're going to say, who sent you? And, and, and so Moses was asking God for his name. And God, from the burning bush, said, um, I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent you. And that is the name that Jesus is invoking here. He is saying, I am. And it is it's such a powerful thing to use the name of God that all of these soldiers fell back to the ground. Okay, so uh, the way I see it is that Jesus says, I am, and this sort of shock wave just comes out and everybody falls down. You know, they're soldiers. They're large and in charge. They're uh, ready for battle because they expect that his disciples will resist him being arrested. They're, they're ready for a fight. Um, but when it comes, he just steps forward, uses uh, God's name, power comes out from him, and they all fall to the ground. And at that moment, What I see is that there's a real power shift that occurs where these men thought that they were in charge. They approached, weapons in hand, uh, they're Romans, so they're always the winner, and they expected to just take them away and to kill anybody who tried to stop them. But what happened was when he said the name of God, when he said his name, they all fell back. And when they got up, I feel, I, you know, I always just kind of picture them staggering and saying, <clears throat> "What, uh, what, what just happened? I don't know. What? Uh, I didn't get hit with a weapon. I'm not bleeding anywhere. Uh, I'm not really hurt. I'm just, I've just fallen back. What, what did he say? What happened there?" And the commander of the army staggers to his feet, and he knows that it was this man and this man's words that just knocked down a hundred soldiers, a thousand soldiers, with all their weapons. And when they all get up, Jesus, this is the way I sort of picture it, he approaches the commander and says, I'm sorry, say it again. Who is it that you want? And the the commander who had said, we are here to arrest Jesus of Nazareth, now just kind of says under his voice, we're here to arrest Jesus of Nazareth, sir. And Jesus says, well, I told you that. That's me. And this time they didn't all fall down. And so there's this real power shift where obviously Jesus is in charge. And what he says to the commander, who can't look him in the eye, is, you're looking for me, you can take me, but you let the rest of these men go. And the commander says, yes, sir. Right away, sir. Anything you want, sir. We'll do this on your terms, sir. And so Jesus is very much sovereign, in control. He is not a victim he is not a man who is uh, arrested against his own will. He told them, you'll take me and you won't take anybody else. That's the plan. And they said yes. Uh, and that's pretty incredible because it's, the, the arrested ones don't get to tell the arresters who they can take and who they can't take. When the cops bust into some place, they arrest everybody. They take everybody that they want. They've got writs for whoever, and they're there with weapons, and they are in charge, but not in this case. In this case, Jesus says, I don't care what your writ says. You're going to do this the way I say it is to be done. And they say, yes, sir. The only person here who disobeys is Simon Peter, who takes out his sword, and he's going to start the war. He's going to do it. He's going to fight all these guys back. Uh, and he goes straight to somebody who probably isn't even carrying a weapon. He doesn't go for a big Roman soldier. He doesn't go for the commander of the army. He doesn't even go for the high priest. He goes for an easy, soft target, which maybe is not a bad idea, but this guy's probably not a big threat to him. And so he goes over and he tries to cut off this guy's head, but he's so bad with a sword that he only gets his ear. And it's interesting that John says his name. His name was Malchus. That was the servant's name. And all throughout, John, he just sort of gives you these little details that are pretty superfluous. I mean, why do you even need this guy's ear? Except for it's important for John to say, no, the testimony is true. I was there. I saw it. I know the guy's name. His name was Malchus. And so Jesus says, tells Peter, put away your sword. I'm in control of this. This has to happen and so they all run away the disciples all run away there's nothing for them to do here jesus has saved their lives and then jesus looks to the commander and says all right i think you're supposed to tie me up or put some cuffs on me or something like that let's go it's time then we come over uh to the uh to the trial scene the trial scene and here we are uh jesus is in front of um in front of pilate they brought him to Pilate. Uh, the, the Sanhedrin, they questioned him. They tried him, and they said, yeah, 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 this guy needs to die. Of course, they were all in favor of that to begin with. Uh, that was, it was kangaroo court. Nobody needed, um, nobody needed to have a trial. It was just a formality. They all knew what they wanted to do with Jesus. And so then they take him to Pilate. And remember, the reason that they take him to Pilate is not because uh, they needed another judge or another judge's opinion. They needed somebody else to carry out the crucifixion because uh, the Romans didn't allow the Jews to carry out capital punishment. So they bring him to Pilate. Let's start in in still in chapter eighteen, but look in verse twenty eight Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So going into a Gentile's home would make them unclean. And remember, this is a high holiday, so they can't do that. And so Pilate, you know, he he accommodates them by coming out to them uh, very early in the morning. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? Uh, And it's very strange for for that to happen, I think, in, in Pilate's mind. He doesn't uh, the, normally they wouldn't want to turn one of their people over to Pilate to be crucified, to be uh, to be killed. Remember, they don't like Pilate. They don't like the Romans. Um, so it's very inter- interesting for them to bring somebody. Very uh, very odd for them. Uh, he had to th- be. A, it, 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 he needed to be a little suspicious here because, like, wait a second. You don't want us to crucify your people. Why are you bringing this guy for us um, to crucify? So what charges are you bringing against him? And then they say something. It's just hilarious. If he were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Now, does that sound like a, a formal charge? Does that sound like, uh, shouldn't there be something fishy about that? Oh, just trust us. He's a criminal. Just trust us. Just trust us. So Pilate said, all right, it must be something very Jewish or something like that, something according to your own law, so just take him and judge him yourself. And then they said, but we have no right to execute anyone. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Now, see, they have stoned people to death before, particularly women, I suppose. Uh, Any adulterous woman, they'll they'll take them out and stone them. But they really want Jesus to be crucified. And so they're bringing bringing him to Pilate so that they'll crucify, so the Romans will crucify him. Look at verse 33. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, uh, Are you the king of the Jews? Because that's the only reason that they would bring him uh, to bring somebody to Pilate. That's the only kind of people that Pilate's really interested in crucifying and getting rid of is anybody who will try to overthrow the Romans. Uh, And so he says that, he asked Jesus that question, are you the king of the Jews? Verse 34, is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not not him. Give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. And so I, I think that Pilate he sees through this. For some reason, they don't like Jesus. And he doesn't know why. They haven't really told him. They haven't gotten down to it. But they want Pilate to think that he is going to try to overthrow uh the Roman the Romans and drive them out, that he is this true Messiah figure that uh that the Pilate there is to is there to stop. And so Pilate talks to Jesus for a little while and then he finds out. I really, I really don't see this guy as a threat. He doesn't seem to have an army. Our our spies would be out there, uh, and they'd be able are are out there, and they'd be able to see that he's a spy if he really, or if he that he was a uh, uh, some kind of a rebel if he really was. So who is this Jesus? It, it seems like they they don't like him because they think he's some kind of religious heretic or something like that. So Pilate's saying, I don't, I don't want to crucify this guy. I want to release him. I don't, I don't, I. He actually Pilate does want to want to crucify Barabbas. Barabbas Barabbas had really taken part in a real uprising. He was a real threat. But they had this tradition. You see, um, in order to curry favor with the Jews and Judea Palestine, all that, that whole area was very hard to control. The, the Romans could control every part of their whole empire except for Judea. Judea was very hard to control because you had a, a bunch of res, religious zealots who had kicked out the Greeks before and were ready to do it again with the Romans. Um, and so in order to sort of appease them, he would, they would always sort of um, just release a prisoner, just, some, just something to make them happy. Um, and Barabbas was the one that they wanted. They wanted uh, him, and he had taken part in uh, in an uprising. To him, to to Pilate, Barabbas was a real threat. Jesus, uh, so Pilate would rather have uh, released Jesus because he seemed to not be a threat. But Barabbas was. Let's keep going. Chapter 19, verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the, to the Jews gathered there, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. So beating him, that's enough. That's all the punishment he deserves. He didn't even deserve that. Let me release him. And so when, uh, look at verse 5. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple rose, robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law. And according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. So that's the real reason that they want to get rid of him. Verse 8, when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. Very interesting that he was afraid that he's the son of God. Uh, so it's getting spiritual. Remember, Pilate—you know—he's not just a politician. He, everybody in the ancient world is a spiritual man. They're, they're all, they they all—they all know that there's something um, more than just this earth, these earthly politics. Verse nine: He went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have the power to free you or to crucify you? And here's the great statement that shows Jesus his real When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabata. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. And listen to this. This really is, this is so telling. Okay, these next couple of verses. But they shouted, Take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. He's getting at them because he knows that they're, they're just jealous that there's they've got some kind of personal agenda against this person. But look, look how they respond. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered, and that's a heresy. They don't want they don't believe that. All they're doing here is betraying their own belief system in order to get Jesus crucified. Verse sixteen. Finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. To them to be crucified. Incredible, incredible. At this point, uh, Jesus. This is sort of this one of the, this lowest mov- moment. Whereas before, in last week's sermon, we see Jesus as the winner and everybody's jumping on in the bandwagon. They love to see Jesus win. They love to see him do miracles. They love to see him be triumphant. They love to see him answer questions and be smarter than everybody else. But as a disciple, it's it's much tougher on this day because Jesus is all alone. Nobody's there at his defense. the The greatest defender I think we see of Jesus at this point is Pilate, who doesn't want him crucified, but who's Uh, really more interested in doing whatever is politically expedient. Uh, Jesus is alone here. Everybody has abandoned him because he seems like he's the loser here, even though he's sovereign over every single event that's going on here. He's sovereign over all of this. But he is being perceived to be the loser in this situation, betrayed by a follower, abandoned by the disciples, Uh, turned over by all the leadership, the powers that be, those who are in power, those who claim to be smart, those who claim to be in charge, those who claim to have God's anointing on them, have turned him over to be crucified. And So here we have, on this day, when it's hard to follow Jesus, it looks like nobody will follow Jesus. It's easy for us, as disciples, as Christians, as believers, to follow Jesus to be uh, faithful to the covenant when all seems to be going well, but when Christianity is unpopular, when our morals are unpopular, when statements that Jesus has made is unpopular are unpopular, when moral debates put us on the say losing side or minority side, um, how confident will we be then every time that Jesus Uh, ratcheted up the pressure or the requirement of what it takes to be a Christian, uh, people walked away. And at this point, he's all alone because this is what it means uh, to be on the right side of history at this moment, is to be crucified. So as Christians, we need to be asking God to make us bold followers, to be um, courageous followers, to be faithful followers of him, not just when it's easy, not on a triumphant entry Sunday, not on a day when Jesus is obviously the winner, but on a day when Jesus is not obviously the winner, on the day when he's handed over, on the earthly side it's for political reason, but it's what it really is is that God's plan is about to be fulfilled in Christ's crucifixion. On those days, on those days when the plan of God, when the sovereignty of God, when Um, everything is culminating in a difficult moment, how faithful will we be then? That's the question. Will we throw Jesus under the bus? Will we uh, walk away? Will we just hide and wait until it's all over? What will we do? The good thing about all of this, the, um, the silver lining in all of this, is that even though it looks like Jesus is losing here, what's he really doing? He's winning. He's winning. Because he's about to uh, defeat sin and the curse. That's why this was necessary. That's why when it came for him to be uh, arrested, he showed everybody who was in charge. And those soldiers, everybody, every soldier that was there knew exactly who was in charge here. There may have been a commander But the commander was not the one that was the sovereign over this whole event. And when it came to uh, Jesus' trial, he he was the one who said, no, 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 no. you don't have any power over me. You may think that you're delivering a verdict, but you're not. The verdict was made long, long ago before the foundation of the world as to what should happen here. And these chief priests, these leadership, these people in power who think that they're getting rid of me, guess what? I'm getting rid of them in this act. Sin, it's about to be defeated. Evil, it's about to be uh, defeated. Death is going to win one more time, and then after that, he's going to have victory over it too. Jesus is sovereign over things, over all things. When it looks like he's winning, He's in sovereign control. When it looks like he's losing, he's in sovereign control. Our job is to keep having faith no matter what happens, no matter what it looks like on the outside. Remember that often in the greatest defeats, God is actually orchestrating the biggest win. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for all the victory. And Lord, we thank you that um, it's not dependent upon us that you are in sovereign control of all of these things. We ask, Lord, that you will help us to remain faithful, help us to stay faithful when it's popular, when it's not popular. Help us to be good disciples, not the kind that run away, but the kind that just wait in the wings, watching what happens, watching what you do, but always staying faithful, faithful to your name, never denying you, but always just saying, If you think you've got Jesus down, if you think you've got the church down, you'd better wait because God orchestrates victory out of defeats. Lord, we love you. Help us to stay faithful to your word. Stay faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen.